Well, good morning. Hope the summer is treating you well. So now as we open up the scripture, let's just uh, quiet the noise of the week and invite God to just be with us and speak to us, encourage us and challenge us. Amen. <clears throat> so in the late 90s, my wife and I were living in Los Angeles, California, and her family came to visit us one summer, her mom and dad, her sister, and her sister's husband. And while they were there, they wanted to visit Disneyland, which is huge. They love Disney, huge Disney fans. I am as well. And um, so they were going to go for a day to Anaheim and spend some time with Mickey. But there was a problem. Disney in the 90s had done something that the pastor of the church we were serving did not like. And as a result, the pastor of our church called for us all to boycott the happiest place on earth. He even gave a sermon entitled, the mouse has backslidden, which it seemed odd to dedicate a whole sermon to that, but, but he did. And I was about 22 years old, and I told my wife, what wife, well, we can't go with your family because we need to support, you know, our church. Imagine how that went over. <laughs> but they went without us, and it's one of the decisions I deeply regret because in that moment, I was allowing someone else to dictate my conscience and my convictions. I live in a world, you live in a world in which not everyone shares our beliefs and values as followers of Christ. There are people that I interact with every day, businesses, organizations, service providers that do not share my values. And as a result, historically, Christian organizations over the years have called for the boycott of companies that support things that we find antithesis to our faith. And yet the challenge that you and I have is that if we're going to boycott those companies and organizations that support things that we do not value, then we're basically going to have to become Amish growing our own food, making our own clothing, and building our own products. Because that's the world that we live in. So how then do I live a life of faith that is true to my conscience, my convictions, my freedoms, and at the same time, respect the conscience and convictions of others and still find the common ground of relationship? Because when you look at the life of Jesus, that's exactly what he did. Jesus lived a life in which he created tension for those around him. I mean, have you ever had a friend or a family member that they were uncomfortable to be around because you never knew what they were going to do? Almost like you, you felt like you had to carry a paper bag in your back pocket just in case you needed to put it over your head because they might do something embarrassing and you didn't want to be associated with, with that. 
Bet you we all have those people. Maybe you are that person. Who knows? (laughs) Jesus, from time to time, was that person. He made people uncomfortable, but he did so in order to create relationship. He spent time with with tax collectors, the most vile of all in society, those that the religious folks hated because because of the nature of their business. And yet Jesus did things like ate dinner with them, hung out with them, made his disciples uncomfortable. He spent time with adulterers, those vile people of society. He didn't condemn them. He forgave them. He even spent time with Pharisees. Uh, Many of the Pharisees were judgmental and legalistic, but he tried to find some common ground in order to establish relationship. He even made space for prostitutes and pagan soldiers. And I can just hear the whisper of his disciples. Why does Jesus do that? There he goes again being all Jesus-y. So how do I live a life of faith? Well, that's true to my conscience, and yet find the common ground of relationship with others. That is the question of today's text. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. Today we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 33 is what I'm going to read. Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Corinth, a very metropolitan and urban city. And he begins this section by writing, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising question of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in a sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I being denounced? Because of something I thank God for. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. This passage from 1 Corinthians uh, begins with the Apostle Paul quoting a popular Corinthian cultural slogan. Every culture, every society has slogans or models that are familiar. Businesses employ them as marketing uh, tactics. Many, you, you know many of them because you grew up with them. I mean, if I were to say the happiest place on earth, you think of. Or if I say just do it. There are some things money can't buy, but for everything else, there's 
MasterCard. Freedom isn't free. Give me liberty or give me... We all know these things because we grew up with them. So in this particular case, the Apostle Paul is quoting a slogan that the Corinthians probably grew up with. He quotes it twice, then responds to it twice. So here's the quote, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. Here's the motto. I have the right to do anything. It was a popular saying in the city of Corinth. But then he goes on and replies to it by saying, but not everything is beneficial. Then he quotes it again. I have the right to do anything. Then he responds again, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. I mean, this was, the, this was the way of the Corinthians. I have the right to do anything. It's kind of like, remember when you were a kid and one of your friends tried to tell you what to do and you said, you're not the boss of me. I can do whatever I want. As adults, we clean it up a bit and we say, well, I, no one can tell me what to do. I have rights. Which is essentially how we live life in the West. I have the right to do whatever I want. But I think the Apostle Paul would reply to us the same way he replied to the Corinthians. Yeah, but not everything's beneficial. Not everything's good. Not everything is constructive. Not everything builds up. Not everything edifies. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul is pushing us towards spiritual maturity through sacrifice living in a place, a culture, and a time, being true to our conscience, and at the very same moment, living peacefully with other people. Now, in this particular instance, a very specific issue is being addressed that seems fairly irrelevant to us. The issue is meat sacrifice to idols. In the city of Corinth, there were many gods that were worshipped, and as a part of that worship, animals will be sacrificed in the temple. Those animals would be butchered, they would be cooked, some of the meat would be offered to the gods, some of the meat would be given to the priests for consumption, and the rest of the meat would be sent to the marketplace to be sold for food. Now, we don't really have this issue. Like, I don't go to the Piggly Wiggly or Sendix and ask the grocer, by the way, has this meat been sacrificed to an idol, perchance? Of course not. I mean, that's not our reality. But but the the question being addressed here is, should a Christian eat meat that has been sacrificed to a god? The modern question could be, should we support or be in a place that is contrary to our values? It's a matter of conscience. Verse 27 If a believer invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising a question of conscience. In other words, don't ask questions, just eat it. It's not a big deal, just eat and enjoy for everything is the Lord's. Years ago, I was was in India and I spoke at this little church. And after the church service, the pastor wanted to be hospitable and invited me into his home and wanted to establish relationship. And so I sat down at his table and he put a glass of water and some food in front of me. Now, if you've ever traveled to a third world country, you know, you've got to be careful because our sensitive American stomachs aren't used to the way that food is prepared in those countries. And you're always told, don't drink the water. 
and don't eat food unless you know where it came from. Well, I was confident that this food was not made according to my sensitive American stomach standards, and I was pretty confident the water just came out of a tap. And now I had a matter of conscience because I didn't want to offend my host, and so I offered up a little prayer, and I just went for it. (laughs) And obviously the prayer worked because here I stand, still alive. And it was a matter of conscience for me, not a matter of faith, but a matter of conscious relationship. But what about when our conscience is a matter of our faith. When we ever have a newcomer's lunch, if you've ever been to one of our newcomer's lunches here at Northbrook, uh, one of the questions we address is, what do we believe as a church? Because we're a non-denominational church and we don't have like a denominational set of standards. And so I always put this graphic up and talk about uh, the four layers of belief, or at least the way that we see it, the way that I see it, uh, the way that we engage the Bible in faith. The first layer of, of belief is the layer of creed, and, and a creed is, a sen- is an essential of the Christian faith. There are some non-negotiables that we have as Christians, right? Like, I, I believe in God, the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. That's a non-negotiable. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. I believe Jesus gave his life. I believe in the cross and the resurrection. Those are non-negotiables of our faith. I believe in the second coming of Christ. Those are the essentials. Those are the creeds. Those are what I give my life to. Well, there's a second layer of belief that we might call doctrine. A doctrine is simply a set of beliefs or an interpretation. And every church has a set of doctrines. Every church has a way it looks at the Bible. Uh, the Methodists look at the Bible a little different than the Presbyterians, look at it a little different than the Baptists, who look at it a little different from the Pentecostals, and so on. I mean, there are just some slants that we have from church to church. The third layer is the layer of conviction, or we could even say conscience. And my convictions might not be the same as yours, and yours might not be the same as mine. So, for instance, I, one of the convictions that I have is that the, the, the Bible is the word of God, and, and as a result, it is like the book of all books. And so the conviction that I have is I will never take another book and place it on top of the Bible. I just can't do it. It's just a conviction that I have. I don't force it on people. There's nowhere in the Bible that says don't put another book on top of the Bible. I don't, I don't make the staff at Northbrook do it, but if I'm kind of walking down the hall and I see that a staff member has placed another book on top of the Bible and they're not in their office, I'll fix it so it's right. <laughs> it's a matter of con- conscience. Another conviction that I have is when I am at a, a store or a restaurant or a business and um, I'm treated poorly or don't receive good customer service, I just, I just choose to not be rude in return because I want to reflect Christ. I mean, that's a conviction that I have. If I'm in a restaurant, regardless of the service I get, I always tip 20%. Even if they dump my food all over my lap, I always give 20% because that's just a standard that I have. It's a matter of, of conviction and conscience for me. Christians have convictions and conscience over all kinds of things. Some Christians have convictions about alcohol. There are some Christians that would never allow alcohol to touch their lips because it is the nectar of Satan. And then there are other Christians that say, Jesus drank wine. If I have a beer or two, what's the big deal? It's, not, it's, it's a matter of conscience. It's a matter of conviction. How we interact politically, it's a matter of conviction and, and conscience. 
Now, one layer removed from that is the layer of preference, and a preference is simply something that I like, right? Sometimes we, we die on the hill of preferences and convictions rather than the hills of creed and doctrine. See, the issues of conviction and preferences are issues of personal freedom, of conscience and conviction. Like, I value my freedom as an American. I'm, I'm patriotic. I love this country. When the national anthem is sung, I take my hat off. I put my hand over my heart. I sing along, and sometimes a tear may even well up in my eye because I, I've traveled the world. I know what's out there. I love this country, and I'm thankful for those that have defended my freedom. But the question I also ask is, how free can one truly be and still be faithful to a gospel that calls us to sacrifice and put others above ourself. See, according to the reformer Martin Luther, Martin Luther he, he wrote that human beings can only truly be free towards God and towards one another by living a rightly ordered existence outside of oneself. An existence that puts others first. An existence that, that makes God at the center, that seeks the good of others. So see, in our passage today, the Apostle Paul is offering this kind of general moral principle to guide Christians in this world, particularly in relationships with others. And the essence of that guidance is the essence of sacrifice in which we give something up on behalf of someone else because we want them to live well. In verse 32, he goes on to write, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks, or the church of God. I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, so that they may be saved. The phrase, don't cause a stumbling block, means causing don't cause an obstructed view of who Christ is. See, true freedom is the ability to be liberated to serve others, to find common ground, to find middle ground, and make that the starting point so that I can invite others into this incredible relationship I have with Christ. But if I can't find middle ground or common ground, then where do we even begin? So I'm at this place in my life where I can find common ground with just about anybody. What does that look like in real life? And let's take, let's take a real life serious issue and find some middle ground, shall we? Take a look at the screens. Well, thanks for joining us. I am Tara Tess, your host. And we will be exploring a question that really has Janelle, Taylor, John, and Maddie on opposite sides. And our goal today is for each side to share their opinion. I want you to listen to each other. And hopefully, we are going to come to some type of middle ground. Now, we all know summer is here finally, and we love cookouts. And we were just talking about all of the things that we love to cook. Brats, hamburgers, hot dogs. Well, when we got on the subject of hot dogs, an interesting question came up, along with a rather heated discussion, to the point where the discussion actually has divided this group in front of me today. 
So, you know, here at Northbrook, we are always working towards unity. So we have come together to hopefully find, as I said, some type of middle ground. Now, I know each of you are out there thinking, my gosh, what could the question be? What is it? What has divided this group? Here it is. Is a hot dog a sandwich? And there they are. You know, I'm going to start with you guys, Janelle and Taylor. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Absolutely not. Not a chance. Okay. And why? So, okay, typically when you think of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. you think of a piece of meat and a bun that has two pieces of bread that are attached. But when you think of a sandwich, in most cases, you think of two separate pieces of bread with, with the other ingredients in between. Okay. Do you- yeah, and actually Oxford's Dictionary just supports that. It says two slices of bread often spread with bu- butter with a layer of meat and cheese. Okay. There you go. So there's really... N- like, no, it's, it's a done deal. Oh. What, about, what about Subway? Has the, the bread attached? Well, if you go to like a concession stand and there's sandwiches, there's also hot dogs, they're like two separate categories. Hot dogs has its own category on the menu. When's the last time you got a hot dog from Subway? Never. Well, I want to hear from you guys. So, you know, they're pretty, they really don't believe that a hot dog is a sandwich. And I know you guys are on that other side. So can you just share with us what you think, you know, is a hot dog a sandwich? Those are a couple fair reasons that my friends over here have shared. But uh, I would also actually like to quote from the better dictionary, uh, Merriam-Webster, mm-hmm. um, that's just, everyone knows that that's better than Oxford. That's so true. Oxford is actually the superior dictionary. Well, let's no, let's I, let I, them I, share their opinion. So go ahead and share the so definition with us. Merriam-Webster, which is the better dictionary than Oxford, says uh, a, a sandwich is two or more slices of bread, as we heard, but it is also a split roll having a filling in between. Wow. So what I'm staring at right here, I think would be considered a split roll with something in between, thus... A sandwich. Absolutely. John, what do you have to add? In fact, in New York, a hot dog is legally considered a sandwich. So we actually have the law on our site. But furthermore, I don't know if you guys knew this. You're just making up claims now. Oh, I I don't know. I recently became a certified hot dogologist via a quick Google search on Amazon Prime. And uh, furthermore, I'm also German, and uh, we all know that my people invented the hot dog and brought it over to the U.S. You're welcome. And more than that, I also have grown tomatoes, which also turn into ketchup, which is the main condiment for hot dogs. So I think it's clear who the expert is in our panel. And I must say that a hot dog is clearly a sandwich. You're barely even German. Amen. Half the people in here are German, and they would all disagree with you. You don't know that. There's you nobody don't know in the here. law of New York. You guys there's, are there's wrong. A studio please, there's no studio audience. Just admit in the wrong. beginning when Tara okay. said, and we can all come to a common understanding that it's a sandwich. It's a sandwich. Just you, you guys, you, you, whoa, time out, time out. Dumb shirt anyway. No, Amazon it's Prime. not. Certified. Okay, you guys, time out. We are supposed to have some kind Certified. of commonality, and we're supposed to be kind, and we're supposed to be polite. So what could we, out of our discussion, what could we agree on? What is something that we could agree on that we'd have in common? They taste good. Okay. Taylor? I like enjoying them with my friends. Okay, John? I like eating them at baseball games. Okay, Maddie? Hey, we're getting there. 
I, I like to eat them with my friends too. Okay. Oh my gosh. We just landed on some common ground that we can agree on. So you know what? We all love to eat them. So why don't we go ahead and have them and enjoy them? And you know what I brought along? My favorite condiment to go on my hot dog is ketchup. And I'm sure we all want ketchup on them. Let's Come on, go. let's dig in. Obviously. Janelle, you want some ketchup? Um, no, that's okay. Why? I like mustard better than ketchup. Oh, but we uh, no, you have to have, you have to ketchup. Have ketchup. Mustard. You, everybody no, like no, no, no. Sugar on a hot dog. Ketchup. Oh no. It's oh, no. American thing. Right now we are agreeing that we love to eat hot dogs, and I think on our next episode we might need to look at ketchup and mustard. Well, thanks for joining us. So. We watch that, and you're like, that's so ridiculous. <laughs> but isn't that kind of like life right now? Just the other day, my son actually made hot dogs, which I like hot dogs, and he's putting ketchup on them, and I, that's nasty. Why would you put ketchup on a hot dog? That's, we actually got into an argument over why he shouldn't put ketchup on a hot dog. I think it's illegal in Chicago to put ketchup on a hot dog. But we get, we get involved in these these arguments forgetting the conscience of others. And that's what verse 25 through 30 is essentially saying. It goes on to say, Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising question of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm not referring to the other person. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. In other words, think about the other person. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience if I take part in a meal with thankfulness? Why am I denounced because of something I am thankful for? He's asking a rhetorical question here. Because when we go to verse 31, he's talking about the good of others. So whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. And do, But at the same time, don't cause others to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. So maybe the challenge for us all is to not only take a hard look at our conscience, but how we're interacting with our conscience and how we're offering our conscience to the world. Because sometimes we treat our conscience like it's a creed. Maybe you have tension with people in your life and it's all over matters of conscience. Maybe the call of the gospel is to find some common ground. If you flip back one page... In this letter to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul writes these words. Though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this 
for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And imagine a world like that. Imagine a world in which no one seeks just their own good, but the good of others. Imagine a world in which we were mindful of those around us. My parents have a home in Fort Myers, Florida. They're, they're, they're like part-time snowbirds. And if you go to Fort Myers in the winter, there's just a lot of people there. A lot of people go there in the winter because it's warm. and So it's packed. And if you go into like Costco, like it's a death trap. I mean, because there's so many people and there's a lot of retirees. I'm against retirees, but sometimes some of them are not conscious, those around them. I can't tell you how many times I've been run over by little old ladies with shopping carts that didn't care I was there. Just (sighs) completely unaware, or at least not wanting to be aware that I was standing there. Sometimes I can be like that person with a cart running people over. Maybe as a next step this week, there are some of us that need to make an apology. Maybe some of us need to go listen to that person in your life who has a different view on things or a different matter of conscience and just simply listen. So we become all things to all people so that I might win some. So our prayer this week. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God.